the struggle for the maturing Christian is to look at life from God's vantage point instead of looking at God from life's vantage point. And I'm not saying it's easy. I am saying that it's possible to look at life from God's point of view instead of looking at God from life's point of view. And so I'm going to leave that there and we're going to jump in Luke chapter 15 and there is a, uh, a popular passage and I won't read it all because it's extensive but we will cover it in our time together today. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. If you want to join us in the Bible app, you can do that. Go to the Bible app, search live events and you should see the Way Community Church right at the top. Click on that and you'll see all the notes for today. I want to appreciate Ahmed Gordon. Happy Father's Day to you, Ahmed, for leading our production team in this area. Luke 15, I'm going to read verse 1 through 3, and then I'm going to jump down and read verse 11, okay? Luke 15, verse 1 through 3, and then I'm going to jump down and read verse 11. The word of the Lord in the New American Standard Bible. It says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him and both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain saying this man receives sinners and eats with them verse number three so he told them a parable verse 11 he started the parable a man had two sons you may be seated in the presence of our God Jesus is eating with some unseemly folk. The religious folk are offended by his company. So he tells them a parable about a man who had two sons. I want to talk today with that simple thought in mind. One father and two sons. One father and two sons. Let's pray together. Lord, we pause in this moment to just take it all in, to process what we're feeling and to think about what we are thinking. Today is filled with a range of emotions. Some of those emotions are positive and some of those emotions are negative. For some today, we are overcome with joy because you have given us the privilege to be fathers or you've given us great fathers whether they are here or passed on, our hearts are filled with joy from the lessons we learn, the examples they set, and the sacrifices they made. But then others of us, God, are filled with grief. Grief over broken relationships, grief over a desire to be a father that is yet to be realized. Grief over the sadness we feel as children or as parents because of any trauma we've experienced in the area of our paternal parentage. And so we lay it all at your feet. The joy and the grief, the good and the bad, the highs and the lows. And we sit now as daughters of the divine and sons of the sovereign. And we want to hear you tell us a story today. May our hearts be open to your story and be open to your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let every heart say, amen. One father and two sons. 
I was on Instagram the other day, and a very popular Christian speaker, her name is uh, Jackie Hill Perry, was telling a story about her daughter having lost the remote control. And so the girl is so small, she's a toddler, that Jackie decides to use this as an opportunity to teach her something about God. And she said, listen, if you're trying to find a remote control, pray and ask God to help you find it. A few minutes later, the little girl found the remote control. She tried to go on about her day. And, uh, and Jackie said she stopped her baby girl and said, no, 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 no. Now that the Lord has answered, you must say thank you. Now, I get the lesson she was trying to teach her little girl about being grateful to God for his goodness. But I just felt good that I'm not the only one who prays that God helps me find a remote. <laughs> Have you ever lost something that was so trivial, but it was so important that you felt guilty about praying that God help you find it? Like, if I'm going to go golfing and I can't find a bag of teas that I know I just bought, do I pray about this or do I just <laughs> move on, right? And here's what you find in experiences like this. God is so present because nothing in our life is too small that he won't use it to prove that he's paying attention to us. And isn't that all a child really wants? To know that a father is paying attention to them. Luke 15 is all about that. It's about finding things that matter to you you lost and uh, and Jesus is sitting in this room and he's engaging with folk who are uh, they're not religious they are not you know spiritual in the sense that uh, that the Pharisees or religious leaders in that day would agree and so they are offended that Jesus is having dinner with these sinners so Jesus says okay instead of responding directly he responds with something called a parable if you ever heard that word, but you don't know what it is, a parable is when Jesus uses something natural to explain something supernatural. <laughs> he says, you can only understand what's natural, but I'm going to reveal something that's supernatural. So I'm going to give you this regular story, and in this regular story, I'm going to reveal something to you that's really heavenly. Earthly stories with heavenly meanings, natural examples with supernatural revelation. And so he goes through three quick parables. He don't even address their issues. He just goes through three quick parables. The first one he uses is of a shepherd who loses one of a hundred sheep. He said, and if a shepherd lost one of a hundred sheep, that shepherd would leave the 99 and go find the one. All right? They're still looking at him with eyes he don't like. So he says, okay, all right, y'all like money. Let's say you had 10 pieces of silver and you lose one out of those 10. You could care less about the nine you still have. You're going to do all you can to find that one. And then when you find it, you're going to rejoice over the money you found. They were still looking at him with judgmental eyes. So he took it out of the agricultural. He took it out of the financial and he brought it right to the relational. Because it's nothing like a story about relationships to help us see how God sees us. So he tells him another story, a parable. It's fictional, but it's got a very real truth in it. And that story, according to verse number 11, is about a man who had two sons. Now, you probably heard this story before or heard part of it before. I can't understand why we call this the story of the prodigal son. 
This story is more than just about the prodigal son because the first thing we learn in this story is that there's a father. <laughs> and we learn that this father has two sons. And throughout this story, we see how this father's love for both of his sons causes him to pursue them even when they are wrong. That first son is a prodigal. Everybody say prodigal. Prodigal just means wasteful, right? It means he wasted all of the resources that he demanded too soon in his life. That second son, though, is the one we skip over. And this is the one I tend to identify with, the prideful son. Everybody say prideful. All right? So you got a prodigal and you got a prideful. Both of these are sons of the same father. And this story is really about how the father pursues them even when they are wrong. We're in a series called Hidden Hand, and it's really a series about the providence of God, okay? Providence is God's control behind the scenes of what's happening on the stage of our lives. And we started two weeks ago looking at the story of Joseph. Then on last week, we looked at the story of Esther, and I thank God for Adrian Robinson who stepped in for me. Can y'all give God praise for him? I appreciate him for stepping in and for handling such a powerful story to reveal the heroines in Vashti and in Esther and to look at the trifold cord of God's providence in all of those folks' lives. It was a powerful sermon, and I enjoyed watching it. Today, we're going to look at this story of this man and his two sons, and what we're going to see is that God's providence is at work. Now, here's the thing about providence. It's easy to experience it's impossible to predict, and it's hard to explain. So when I say God has a hidden hand in your life, it's, it's, it's easy to experience. It's easy to just let God just close doors and open them. Things work out, and they don't. It's impossible to predict. And I used to make this mistake of trying to predict God's providence. What you do when you do that is you really try to take control, and you don't let him take control. But then the last thing about providence is, it's hard to explain. Meaning, it's hard to explain how someone whose father didn't raise them, God has now given them the opportunity to be a father and to be to others what no one was to them. That's providence. That's hard to explain. And so in this story, we'll appreciate how God's hand is at work through this father who saw and sought both of his children because of the compassion in his heart. So here's the big question. As we go through this story, this is the question I want everybody to ask yourself. All right? You ready? Here it is. Which of the two sons am I more like? <laughs> Which one of the two sons am I more like? Am I the prodigal or am I the prideful son? And what we'll learn is this, loving fathers seek their children. Say that with me. Say, loving fathers, loving fathers. Seek, seek their children. All right, so God's providence is at work. God's providence is his goodness towards us, but it's, it's, it's hidden. It's not easily recognizable until he brings to pass in our life the things that take place. And so we see God's providence for the prideful, the prodigal, and the parent. We'll start first with the prodigal. 
Notice God's goodness to this prodigal son. Verse 14 says that this prodigal spent all his money. All right. He demanded his money from his daddy too early. Give me what's mine. The father obliged. He leaves home and goes to a far country. When he gets far away where his daddy can't tell him what to do, all this money, he starts spending it. He free willing. He big balling. He doing the doggone thing. And as long as he's got money, he's got people who want to be around him. Then he runs out of money. Because <laughs> he learned how to get it and learned how to spend it, but he never quite learned from his father of how to produce it. So he's flat broke. All right, that's bad enough. As soon as he gets broke, a famine hits the land, meaning the crop stop growing, the rain stop falling, and the price of food increases overnight. It is not just any kind of famine. Verse number 14 says it's a severe famine. It's a really bad experience. So he says, all right, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get a job. <laughs> right? He goes to get a job. And they give him a job of feeding pigs. And what he's learning now is, hmm, all these blessings in my life didn't come from what I do. It came from who I knew. <laughs> but he's got to feed the pigs to learn this lesson. He gets so hungry one day that he looks at the food he's feeding the pigs and he thinks about eating it himself. That's how hungry he is. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, he said, hold on. The text says in verse number 17, he came to his senses. And he thought to himself, now look, the worst servant in my father's house is still living better than I am. Why am I out here dying from hunger? Even though this was a tough lesson for him to learn, this is God's goodness to him. Here's the first way we see God's goodness to him. A, bad decisions lead to desperate situations. That is the providence of God. Some of y'all like, Rev, you should have took the day off too. <laughs> we don't want to hear this. It is God's good providence that my bad decisions lead me to desperate situations. All right, I want you to be honest with me. Even if you can't wave your hands, just blink if I'm talking to you. <laughs> Have you ever been mad that a bad decision you made turned out bad? <laughs> I know I have. I knew the decision was bad when I made it, but I still wanted it to work out. <laughs> Like, who wants a bad decision to turn out bad for them? Mm -mm, you want a bad decision to turn out good for you so you can promise God you won't do it again. <laughs> Even though you got out of it everything that you wanted out of it. But God's providence is, mm -mm, I'm going to let your bad decisions lead to desperate situations. He didn't just make a bad decision. He really made a disrespectful decision because he goes to his father who has amassed a great wealth and he's laid it up for him in an inheritance. And the simple fact of an inheritance is you only get it when daddy dies. So when he demands it today, what he's essentially saying is 
You are as good as dead to me. And to add disrespect to that, he takes it and he leaves home. I don't know what it is about bad decisions. They're slippery slopes. They go from bad to battle to worse to worse. <laughs> like, at what point am I going to stop myself? Okay. He disrespects his father, takes money he hasn't earned so he does not know how to manage. Then he moves away to a foreign country and starts spending all the money. His decisions just get worse and worse and worse. And as soon as he's at rock bottom, the bottom falls out. Once all his bad decisions have been made, providence kicks in. And providence allows his bad decisions to turn into a severe famine. What is it about the decisions we can control that when we keep going down the wrong path, we eventually get to something that's out of our control? When I made a decision I shouldn't have made and then followed it up with three more I shouldn't have followed it up with, now I'm in a scenario where a famine is completely out of my control. I can control how I responded to my father. I can control where I move and live. I can control if I spend all my money or not. What I can't do is make it rain. I can't control the famine. So his bad decision now has led him to a desperate situation and this is God's grace and goodness and providence for him. Now, here's the reason why this is so hard. Maybe not for you, but for me. This is difficult to process because I've made bad decisions that led to desperate situations for me. But I watch other people make the same bad decisions. And they don't look desperate at all. <laughs> Can I keep it a buck with you? This is why I'm more of the prideful son than the prodigal son. I've watched people make worse decisions than mine. And I'm like, now why am I in a desperate situation? And I made just a, you know, little, my bad, my sin, little sin. <laughs> but other people are making these same decisions, if not worse ones, and they don't seem to be as in a desperate situation like I'm in. And here's what I realized. Here's why this is God's providence. <laughs> desperate situations after a bad decision is more than God's providence. It's really divine paternity testing. <laughs> you want to know how God is really your father? He let your bad decisions catch up with you to get your attention. You want to know how you don't belong to God? He let you do what you want to do and he let you keep on doing it and he'll never bother you about it or convict you when you're wrong. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 through 11. I'm not going to read it all, but here's what it essentially says. It says the Lord chastens the children he loves. Then uh, the writer of Hebrews uses this analogy and says, if you had a good father, how many people I show of hands, you had a good daddy, a good daddy. Perfect. No. Good. Yeah. OK. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. If you had a good daddy, when your good daddy had to teach you a lesson, you know what your good daddy did? Disciplined you. When you hear discipline, don't think whooping, think standard. Your good daddy didn't make it easy for you. Here's why. Because your good daddy was trying to teach you a good lesson. Because he knew once he was off the scene, you and have him here to protect you. So you need character to protect yourself. 
the writer of Hebrews says, if you can respect your heavenly father for the little bit of discipline that taught you a little lesson, how much more should you respect your heavenly father who disciplines you for righteousness sake? Discipline is a divine paternity test. When my bad decisions create desperate situations for me, that is proving that God is 99.9% the father. <laughs> it's his providence, all right? I don't like this kind of preaching, but I love it because it's necessary to help me better understand. A, my bad decisions turn into terrible consequences, but then B, here's another stroke of, good, of God's goodness for this prodigal son. Failing to save yourself helps you come to your senses. It's providence. For the prodigal son, God lets him fail. And that failure is God's goodness to him. Okay. A famine hits, and he does what we would all do. He goes into survival mode. All right? I can, I can feed myself. I don't need my daddy. I can take care of myself. A famine hits, right? He goes to get a job. Cool. I respect that. That's, that's, that's the most grown-up decision he's made so far. He goes to get a job just to be in survival mode, but the situation is so desperate that he can't even basically survive. He goes and hires himself out, and immediately he gets treated like an average servant because the people in the far country don't know your name, your daddy name, who you come from, or who you are. When you're somewhere where you don't supposed to be, you get treated like somebody you are not. So he can't even survive. Then as soon as he realizes the failure in his life, then he gets a good idea. <laughs> what? Why he didn't get a good idea before he got to this point? Why, why, on the way to ask his daddy for the money, why he didn't say, wait, 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 let me not do this. This is going to offend my daddy. Then he takes the money, moving out of town. Why he didn't say, hold on now. I ain't never been this far away from home. Let me rethink this. I don't know these folk like that. When he's out in the far country, willing and dealing, big balling, why he didn't think to himself, you know what? I should invest some of this money. <laughs> I need this money to grow. I can't sustain this lifestyle. It's not until the failure was realized that a good idea popped into his head. Because whatever it is about failure, failure opens us up to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to realize this. I cannot save myself, so let me come to my senses and go to where I can be saved. Can I be honest why a lot of us are in church today? Because of the failures we've experienced in life. Am I the only one? If, if I could have saved myself, I would not be your pastor today. I guarantee you. <laughs> I guarantee you. Because y'all already know my interests were in other areas. All right? Early on in life, I wanted to be a multitude of things. Like a martyr train driver. A dump truck driver. And a dope boy. Not because I wanted to poison my community, but I wanted gold teeth and I wanted a box Chevy and I wanted to wear track suits all the time. 
telling you the truth. All right. Then when I got old enough to figure out what I want to do with my life, I want to go to business school. That's not what God wanted me to do. He said, no, 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 you're going to Bible school. <laughs> you got the right letter, wrong word, business, no Bible. <laughs> but God, I'm 17, Bible. If I could have saved myself, I wouldn't be here today. But it's failures. When you try what you thought you wanted to do that does not work out for you, those failures help you come to your senses. And the sooner you come to your senses, the sooner you realize really how good the plan is that God has for you. That's why lifeguards wait till you stop fighting before they try to save you. Because if I get in this water while you kicking and punching, you're going to knock both of us out and we both going down together. But here's what I'm going to let you do. I'm going to let you get in deep water you should have never been in. I'm going to let you try to swim out of stuff you're not equipped to swim out of. And I'm going to watch you the whole time until you get tired of fighting the waves, until you get tired of trying to do it on your own. And the minute you get tired and you think you're going down, that's when I'm going to dive in and save you. Is there anybody who can testify, God? That's why I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. Because I done made so many bad decisions that should have drowned my life. But here I am today because in the nick of time, you don't in and save me. Has anybody ever been scooped up by grace out of a situation you put yourself in? I put myself in this situation. I knew I couldn't swim, but I was trying to impress them. I put myself in this situation. I saw all the signs that says swim at your own risk. I put myself in this situation. I knew I had never been trained for this type of deep water, but I was trying to impress myself. But here I am in a situation I put myself in that I cannot get myself out of. And now I come to my senses and I reach out to my heavenly father. You ought to give God praise for the fact that he'll let you fail to come to your... And I know that this is an affront to you because you've always been strong enough to save yourself. You've always been attractive enough to save yourself. You've always been resourceful enough to save yourself. You've always been educated or connected enough to save yourself. But can I submit to you that though you may be strong, you are not strong enough to deliver you. You may be attractive, but you are not that good looking to get all the way through on your own. You may be resourceful, but you don't know enough people. You can't pull enough strings to really get yourself to the good space you want to be in. You may be educated, but take this from somebody with four earned degrees. The more I learn, the more I realize I do not know. So this prodigal sees the goodness of God really through terrible experiences. But not just the prodigal. Number two, notice God's goodness to the prideful. Whew. The prodigal son is a wasteful child. This prideful one, though, whew, this is the one who thinks that they've earned everything they have. Because <laughs> they compare themselves to the son they're not. So because I didn't do that, that's why I deserve this. And this prideful son is just as wrong as the prodigal son. We come down to verse number 25 through verse number 31. It says, now the older son was in the field. He came to the house that night and heard music and dancing. What's going on? Well, the prodigal who came to his senses came back home. 
And on his way home, the father saw him, embraced him. And like Isaiah said in the song, gave him a robe, a ring and threw a party. Now they all partying. The oldest son been working in the field to take care of the crops. He come home at the end of the day tired from work. And he hear a party going on that he didn't get an invitation to. So his first question is, the day ain't my birthday. <laughs> what we partying for? And so all the servants started to say, oh, yeah, your brother came back home. And he like, my brother? Since my daddy was as good as dead to him, he was as good as dead to me. What you mean my brother came back home and got a party? So he's standing outside mad. All I do is work in the field all day. I don't never get no party. I seen how my brother did him, and I ain't do him like that, but he didn't even say thank you. All I do is do what he asked me to do, but he let somebody who do the opposite of what he want them to do come back home and celebrate them. He is completely wrapped up in his pride. And here's what we learn. God's goodness to the prideful is a hard lesson he has to learn. Here's the first lesson. Your response doesn't change somebody else's reality. I want you to hear what I'm saying to all the prideful sons like me, all the older brothers in the room. I don't know what it is about them firstborn children. We try to do it all right. And then we watch the ones come behind us and do it all wrong. And we secretly resent them in our soul. Maybe not so secretly. <laughs> I can say this because neither one of our baby sisters are here today. I can't stand my baby sisters. <laughs> You're not the baby. <laughs> okay, one of my younger sisters is here. And she's like... This is a good time for me to find out in front of your church you can't stand me. <laughs> Not you, Desiree. I love you, girl. It's the one under you. <laughs> I'm joking, but I'm going to be honest. There's some seriousness there. As the oldest, you watch the baby say stuff and do stuff you like. How are they still alive? Because I was told that you brought me in this world and you would take me out. <laughs> and I've been bigger than you for 20 years, but I still feel like you could take me out. <laughs> this older son, he's full of pride. And so what he learns is just because you don't respond the right way don't mean the father's going to change his goodness to somebody else. It is the mature Christian thing to do to join a person in whatever their experience is. I want y'all to hear me. The New Testament is full of stuff like one another, right? One another, forgive one another, love one another. I want you to listen to one of them in Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward, what church? One another. And do not be haughty, don't be prideful, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't think you all that and you always do it right. Here's what Paul is saying. 
whenever somebody else has a reality that is opposite than yours, join them in it. If they weeping, go weep with them. If they're rejoicing, go rejoice with them. Because life ain't all about you. We got to be this for one another. Everybody say one another. That's a good study you could do. Google all the one another verses in the New Testament and you will see what type of community the way community church is supposed to be. He says, look, and the way you join people in their lived experience is you don't think you all that in your mind. You not so full of you. When people are going through stuff that causes weeping or rejoicing, there is, a, uh, there is a grace and a blessing that comes with certain lived experiences, right? So when people are in that reality and they are emoting in response to what they're going through, they're going to get the blessing God intended to come from their joy or their mourning. They're going to get it. When I join in with them, here's what I do. I get to join in on the blessing they already going to get. <laughs> But if I say, no, 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 I'm not rejoicing with them because they got a raise or I'm not weeping with them because they got fired. That don't have nothing to do with me. Here's what happens. God is still going to bless them for the reality they are experiencing. But now I don't get to share in that blessing. So to all the prideful children in the room like me, here's what God says. Understand your presence was not needed. To start the party and your presence won't be needed to continue the party. The party is going to go on with or without you. So you can either put your dancing shoes on and rejoice with other folks I'm blessing or cry with other folks who are hurting or you can stand outside and watch me bless them all the same. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the rooster, but somebody got to tell that rooster, the sun don't rise because you crow. <laughs> Come here, rooster. The sun don't rise because you crow. You crow because the sun rises. And I'm going to tell you, if you keep your cock-a-doodle-doo, then the cow going to moo and the chicken going to cluck and the pig going to oink because the sun going to rise. Is there anybody who can testify? Father, forgive me for thinking I was more important to this than I really am. Help me to get my mind right. And I want to say to the people who are you sad because God threw you a party and people you thought would be there didn't show up. Or um, you went through something terrible and when they went through something terrible, you cried with them. But when you went through something terrible, they didn't cry with you. <clears throat> Let me say this. You have to stay at your party because you don't know how God is using your party to address their pride. Don't you leave your party. Don't you, don't you play down what God is doing. 
Don't you move from where God told you to move because you can tell that they sour and they in their feelings. No, you keep on partying. Here's why. Because the father will leave the party to address their pride, but you stay in the party because the father gave you the party for you. All right. Okay. Here's the next thing we learned for the prideful son. Your work can never out-earn relational favor. Whew. My wife just said that's good. That's because she know me. Your work can never out-earn relational favor. The problem with the prideful son, so he's mad about the party. The daddy comes outside and addresses his pride. Hey, man, what's the problem? He tells the dad, man, I can't believe you throwing a party for him. All that he took from you, all them nights you was up crying when he was up, gone in the far country, he done wasted all this money that you worked hard to get, and here I am working in the field. All I ever do is exactly what you tell me to do, and you ain't never gave me even you know, a little something for me and my friends to hang out. His issue was he was working for something that he should have been working from. <laughs> it wasn't that he was wrong, but what he was missing it was he didn't have favor because of what he did. He should have been doing what he was doing because he already had favor. <laughs> he thinks that he's better than his brother because of what he do and don't do. And that's where he's missing it. He shouldn't be looking at his relationship to the brother. He should be looking at his relationship to the father and saying, because I'm already favored, I work from fullness. See, when you got a hole in your soul, you can feel it one way or the other. You can feel it through wasteful living or you can feel it through religion, through accomplishment. And you can think that because I'm doing right, because I'm checking all the boxes, because I'm dotting my I's and crossing my T's, because I'm better than my siblings, because I don't do this and I do do that, then I must be better off than them when the reality is you're working for something you should be working from. Because even after you get it, it still ain't going to fulfill your soul and it still ain't going to make you look in the mirror and be happy about who you are and all that God has done. You got to start with your favor so favor can fill you up and let favor be your fuel to do what you need to do. Not I'm doing to get. <laughs> Say amen. amen. Which one was that? He don't even know. It's one of them. <laughs> one of them Freeman kids, all right? The only, the, only, the, uh, the only family almost close to the McClinics is the Freeman. There's a whole lot of McClinic babies in this church. All right? Really, Elder and West, which y'all know what I'm saying. That's Sam and, and Karen's family. You can never earn relational favor. And relational favor is always better than what you can earn. He thinks that he's working for favor when he should be working from it. He thinks he's working for love when he should be working from it. He thinks he's working for his father's approval when he should be working from it. I'm going to ask you an honest question, all right? We've been honest today. How many people, by a show of hands, have, have exhausted yourself trying to, trying to please God? Yeah, appreciate it. Me too. You should be tired. 
Because you're working from an energy you don't have to get something you already got. We should be exhausted trying to make sure that we do everything to appease God. Because I cannot appease God. Religion tempts us to do that. What we have from God through Jesus is a guaranteed relationship with the Father that's not based on anything I've done, but everything I have received. So God's providence teaches us something as the prideful. It teaches us that my work can never out-earn relational favor and my response don't change somebody else's reality. If God want to forgive them and be good to them, he going to do it whether I'm happy about it or not. And nothing I can do can make my life better off than it already was in Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing. I'm going to let y'all go. Number three, we see God's goodness for the prodigal, God's goodness for the prideful. Now let's look at God's goodness through the parent. Look at his goodness through the parent. Now we're going to look at this on, on two levels, okay? The first level is God is the father and we're one of the children. All right? But for the fathers in the room, this is encouragement from, for us from God's example of the type of fathers we ought to be. Look at his goodness through this father. Here's the first thing we learn from this father. Good fathers love their children more than they love their stuff. All right. Verse number 12. It says the younger came to the father and asked him for his share of the estate. And the father divided the wealth. Verse 22 through 24. The father told all those who worked for him, when his son came home, quick, bring the best robe. Bring the best ring, meaning this, this heirloom, that when he puts this ring on, it's got a family crest on it that, that identifies him as belonging to this lineage. Bring some sandals, because he's been walking bare feet on this road back home, this shameful road back home, or this road through shame, put some sandals on his feet. Then, look, we're going to have a barbecue. Cook the fattened calf. What does that mean? <laughs> no, don't, don't go get one of the scrawny ones. Don't start feeding one and next week it'll be ready. Get the one that I've been having ready because I knew this day was going to come. Slaughter that one. I want some ribs. I want some steaks. I want it all. Medium well. He says, because my son was dead, he's alive again. He was lost. Now he's been found. Verse number 31, he says to the older son, why are you mad? Everything I have is yours because you got me. This father shows us that he loves his children more than his stuff. All right. Here's the reason why I believe we shouldn't refer to this story as the story of the prodigal son. Because the word father shows up 11 times in this short parable. It's really about the father who is symbolic of God. Okay? And this father shows us, look, that I love my children more than I love my stuff. What does that mean? That means as good fathers, we want to be open-handed with our stuff, but open-hearted with our children. Now, this don't mean that his feelings weren't hurt when his younger son essentially wished that he was dead. This doesn't mean that we enable our children to squander wealth. That's not what he did. 
What this does mean is this. In every scenario where this father had to choose stuff or child, he chose child over stuff. Every time. He was open-handed with the stuff, but open-hearted to the children. I'm going to give you an example, all right? I'm going to tell you what he said. Then I'm going to tell you what I'm shocked he didn't say. <laughs> Here's what he said. When the boy asked him for the money, he said, here you go. You free. I read that like, what? I'm shocked he didn't say, boy, this is my money. You crazy. You lost your mind. That's what I would have said. <laughs> When the boy came back home, here's what he did say. I love you. Welcome home. What? I'm shocked he didn't say, hey, bro, you walked out of here with some bread. Don't you come back empty handed. Where my money at? He said, bring the best roll, ring, sandals, and calf. When he could have said, yeah, you're right. You were wrong. You did sin against me, and you will be one of my worst slaves for the rest of your life. He said, my son was lost and he's found. Let's celebrate. Instead of saying, you must have lost your mind, fool. We done already memorialized you. You good as dead to me too. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? He goes outside to the older brother. He said, man, come on in and party. When he could have went out there and said, have you lost your mind? This party ain't for you anyway. Stay out here. Be mad. He tells the older son, everything that's mine is already yours. When he could have said, if you don't bring your butt in this house, you ain't getting none of this. He tells the older brother, he says, we had to celebrate. It was the right thing to do. When he should have said, you hold him down and I'll beat him up. <laughs> I want you to hear me. And I think that the reason why we probably got our wires crossed on this is because a lot of people in my position, pastors and spiritual leaders, have manipulated folk out of their stuff for so long Amen. that you got the wrong idea about God. God loved you more than he loved his stuff. <laughs> and all the stuff is his stuff. And every time he has to choose, he'll choose me and he'll choose you over his stuff. The issue in this story is never that the father would choose stuff over the son, but that one of the sons chose stuff over the father. That's the issue. So here's what we learn, fathers. That a good father, we love our children more than we love our stuff. That's why we celebrate you today. Because you don't sacrifice stuff for your children that your children would never know about. Here's the second thing, B, we learn from the Father, and I'll be done. Good fathers are moved by compassion when their children fail. <laughs> Verse 20, so he came out to his father. So he set out and came to his father, the young boy. And when he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt what, church? Compassion for him. And the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. Let me ask you this. Who came back to who? <laughs> we can look at the boy and say, yes, he repented and he returned. But before he can get home, the father 
ran to him and embraced him. This tells us a few things. Number one, the father was looking for him. The boy didn't sneak up on him. He saw that boy coming. He can tell by his silhouette. He belonged to me. I don't care how far he been or how long he been gone or what he left with and didn't come back with. I can tell by that walk because I remember his first step. That that boy is mine. He runs to the boy because of compassion. Everybody say compassion. Alright, so I think that the reason I identify most with the prideful son is not just because I'm the older uh, brother in my, my line of siblings, but also because I used to have this terrible fear of failure. And whatever it is about pride, it makes you think that you got to avoid failure. It really makes you think you can avoid failure. And that's pride in itself. And it wasn't until I was about 30 years old, and Eb can tell you the story, uh, if she can remember it, where I just acknowledged to her this emptiness in my life I was overcompensating from in every area and trying not to fail. Trying not to fail as a son. Trying not to fail as a husband. Trying not to fail as a father. Trying not to fail as a you know, ministry associate. All these roles I was playing in. And what was unhealthy and unrealistic about it is failure is inevitable. So as long as I was trying not to fail, I was going to do one of two things. I was going to either live a fake life or I was going to fail and act like I didn't and be arrogant about it. <laughs> it was a lose-lose proposition. Because the reality of life is failure is inevitable. And every father in this room, we notice about our children. It's not if they fail, it's when they fail, it's how they fail. And here's the only hope, Lord, don't let their failure cost them more than they're able to pay. That's the only thing. I, I know they're going to fail. Just don't let it be too catastrophic that it redirects the trajectory of what they could have been. I don't know if it's the prefrontal cortex that's not fully developed. I don't know if it's immaturity because of the emotional swings. I don't know if it's lack, lack, lack of life experience. Failure in children is inevitable. Now, the theological term for this is iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. <laughs> iniquity is sin is in me. Transgression is sin is around me. But I can avoid transgression. Iniquity is mm -mm, it's in me. And I can't avoid it. It's this magnetic pull to wrong. Right? It, that's why you can't be so powerful to think, I got to get away from them or away from there. Because if I'm away from them and there, eh, you can get away from them and there. But I'm going to tell you who you can't get away from. You. <laughs> and you your daddy child. <laughs> you your mama child. It's some stuff in your genetic code. It just is what it is. All right? Iniquity is I can't get away from me. It's the sin in me that makes failure inevitable. So the question then, then is this, when failure happens, how do fathers respond? Fathers should react to our children's failure with a spirit of compassion. Compassion. That's how God responds. Now, here's what I'm saying. 
try your best to usually show compassion. Because <laughs> we not God. We don't have that endless capacity. Also, let's not try to lay on this story something that ain't true about it. We can look at this story and say, well, no, he deserved worse than what he got. He may have deserved worse than what he got, but it wasn't like he was a re repeat offender. God's compassion and his judgment on repeat offenders, that's God's business, not mine. All I know is when I kept repeating what I told God I wouldn't keep repeating, he kept having compassion in ways that I did not deserve. Only God knows that. But the goodness of God through a godly father is a compassionate heart. And my prayer for us today, men of God, who are fathers in this room, is that God would increase our compassion for our children. His last thing, see, good fathers keep open hearts with high standards. <laughs> Here's what we learn about God from this story. He kept his heart open, but he did not lower his standard. What you mean, Rev? He went outside to the older brother. He said, come inside. The older brother said, no, I ain't coming inside. Because this ain't right. The father said, okay. <laughs> That's he, said. he said, it was right that we celebrated your brother. That was the right thing to do. He didn't go out there and lower his standard because the son had an attitude. God as a father won't allow us to get what we want if we throw a tantrum. All right, here's the last time I'm going to ask you to be honest. How many people by show of hands have ever thrown a tantrum with God? <laughs> Two hands and feet. <laughs> God won't let me get what I want by throwing him a tantrum. Trust me, I know. Why not? Because he keeps his heart open, but he keeps his standard high. He says it was the right thing to do to celebrate your brother, and I'm not doing the wrong thing because you got the wrong attitude about it. I'm going to do the right thing because that's the standard in this house. The ethic in this family is if you repent, you can be completely forgiven. That is the standard. And until you change your attitude, I will not change my standard. And I'm going to tell you, that's not just how God relates to us, but I hope, fathers, that's how we can relate to our children. I'm going to end like this. A few years ago, I had given my sons chores. I was so happy when they got old enough to do the work in the house that we was doing. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm never, I'll wash dishes once a month. <laughs> I've been washing dishes since I was eight years old. Right, mama? Right. My mama pull a chair up to the sink. Uh, I got it, mama. <laughs> Soon as my kids got old enough to do the work, I made them do the work. All right? So we gave them this one chore. We said, look, hang up all your clothes. So we went, they was little at the time. It was just Dylan Dang. I don't think Dixon was here, or he was re real small. And so we got him these little hangers, uh, little hangers for little four, five T clothes. Hang up all your clothes. So they put all the hangers on the clothes, and then they start to complain. I'm like, what's wrong? They're like, daddy, daddy, daddy. I come back in the room, and the problem is, they can put the clothes on the hanger, but they not tall enough <laughs> to put the hanger on the hook. So now they are completely frustrated because I have given them a standard that they can't reach. So you step back and ask yourself, I can do one or two things, one or three things. I can either bring the bar down to make it easier for them. I can pick them up and hold them up, but eventually they're going to be too dependent upon me. Or I can do the third thing, which is what I did. I said, I tell you what, 
going to get a piece of furniture and I drug it over to the closet so that they could step up on the furniture, hang up their clothes, and do what daddy told them to do. You missed your shout. I gave them a standard. I said, here is your responsibility. They realized they couldn't meet the standard. So instead of lowering the standard, I moved a little grace under their feet so they can stand on my goodness and be who I called them to be. Is there anybody who can testify? God, I thank you for your love in my life that you will keep your heart open, but you never lower your standard. And when I realize I can't reach your standard of forgiveness, I can't reach your standard of love, I can't reach your standard of peace, you will put grace under my feet to lift me up where I belong. You ought to give your heavenly father a hand clap of praise for the grace that's holding you up. It's grace holding me up. I can only reach because he, he put grace under my feet. <laughs> grace will make you look taller than you really are. It'll help you accomplish stuff that you know you can't do on your own. So, the ask for everybody in the room is this. Which one of the children are you? Jesus was eating with some sinners. Some religious people got mad. So he told them a story. <laughs> the sinners were the prodigal. The religious folk were the prideful. But the father pursued them both. Which one are you? If you've been the prodigal, don't you let the prideful child make you feel any worse than you already do. Repent. You'll be received back. If you are the prideful, get your eyes off the prodigal. They was never your standard. Stop comparing yourself to them. You already got the father and the father already got you. Stop working for something you already got. Here's the action item for everybody this week. If you haven't read Luke 15, I want to encourage you to spend some time reading it. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you would.